0: Stories. Fables. Ghostly Tales. The anaesthetic gas brought back memories from one of the hernia surgeries he had when he was seven years old. The sweet-smelling gas had the sting of fear woven into the fluorescent lights images above. Fading in and out of Gary's past, he remembered the strange way he drifted into consciousness during the surgery and seeing the Asian doctor's head hovering above him. The doctor's body was behind a blue surgical screen as he looked down at the young Gary. Gary's youthful and sedated mind processed the image of a doctor not as obscured by a screen, but as disembodied and floating above him in a ghostly intrusive way. Now, the 37-year-old Gary had found himself under the knife again. The reason for his surgery was to correct some problems with his abdomen. Gary could not recall in his present state exactly what the reason for this operation was. He heard the sounds first as he started to achingly come out from his darkness and fog. His eyes would not open, or he had not restored a desire to open them. Shuffling slippers, faint machinery and mumbles of patients, doctors, and televisions. The pressure and chills on his body made any thought of movement as far away as the most distant stars. "'Gary Heckner?' one of the voices said. He remembered that was his name. The voice was close by when it said his name. The swirling medical fog was starting to move like a tide in the evening, coming in, bringing darkness. He did not fight the blanket of drugs that was taking effect, and the sounds began to fade into nothingness. When the tide receded this time, Gary first felt his body, his toes, and his fingertips felt like they had been bathed in ice. He also felt his wound, a concentrated spot of sickness on the top of his stomach and chest with random spikes of a stinging pain that almost felt unfair given his helpless state. He felt a vibration in his throat that took him a few seconds to realize was himself, moaning. The sound he was making had attracted some attention from the staff of the medical facility. The person that came to see him was asking questions. Gary was unaware of what the questions were, what he was saying in answer, or if he was even answering the questions being asked. His arm was raised and he took the paper cup full of water and put it to his lips. His eyes opened for the first time, and part of him expected the blinding fluorescent lights to flood into him as was expected with post-surgery. Instead, the light was a subdued olive quality, with a tinge of grey and yellow. He managed to say, "Thank Thank you. The medical person's response must have been distorted through his medication or in another language as it sounded guttural and unrecognizable. Gary could not care as what could be considered sleep took him once again. More lateral, the next voice said. It was a dry, analytical voice. How about here? The other voice was cold, and official sounding as well, but slightly younger. Gary's eyes opened as the pain flew through his nervous system, emanating... From his abdomen, Gary started to scream but was too weak. To make the appropriate sound, it came out as a rasp and gurgling sound. The pain was intense enough so that he quickly squeezed his eyes shut. That wasn't it, the older voice said and the pain subsided. I'll try here, the younger voice said. Pain again. So intense that Gary this time let out a laugh of disbelief. The laugh was more of a high-pitched bark. More lateral, the older voice said, sounding annoyed. There were tears in Gary's eyes due to the extreme pain that pulsed through his body like lightning. Despite these distortions, Gary could tell that something was wrong with what his eyes were taking in. The ceiling was covered with moss or mould. The lights were not consistent, they were a sick green, and yellow, they were flickering and shifting. More lateral, one of the voices said again, followed by what had become the customary jolt of unreasonable pain. Gary let out a series of swear words and other sounds that were ignored. More lateral, the voice said again. His fists were hurting the next time he woke up. He looked down at each of his hands and saw they were bruised and red. He tried to look more closely, but his hands were strapped to the sides of his bed. He was still too weak to do anything other than rattle the sides. "'I am sorry about that,' a woman said in a kind voice from somewhere near the foot of the bed. "'The last time you woke up, you were confused.' Oh. Gary rasped, desperately needing water for his throat. The woman approached with a paper cup. Gary tipped his head up, giving him a sip of water. I don't, don't remember. remember. He said. That is normal. She said, walking back to the foot of the bed. You had an issue. You were out of sorts, and you... She paused and gave a small laugh. You punched the nurses a couple of times when you were thrown around. You were not yourself, and you were calling them monsters. The doctor wasn't fault. She is okay. Nothing's some vodka, and an ice pack can't solve. She turned around and looked at him. Her face looked kind. Then went blurry. It came into focus again. The features on the woman's face rearranging themselves and there was a crackling sound. The eyes drifted and multiplied on her face, and now there were roughly six eyes, shiny and black. The mouth opened, and the bottom jaw was sucked back into the woman's neck, which was elongating. Due to the drugs, the pain, or the woman's shifting appearance, Gary shut his eyes and fell into unconsciousness. The noises that Gary heard were disturbing. He could not tell if it was an echo from a dream or some mysterious show on one of the televisions in the facility. Because of this, he decided to keep his eyes closed for the time being. It brought to mind the many times in his boyhood when he would try to pretend as if he could not hear them and that he still slept. It possibly never worked, and at that moment... He could not remember anyway. Gary just knew that he felt like not seeing anything. The television or radio he was overhearing was flowing in and out of sense. A drama about cheating teenagers made sense, and then it would fold into bubbles and gurgling noises mixed with static. He heard something about the toxic toxic winds from the caverns in the north. There was a series of footsteps that drowned out the sounds of the media. Shoes on linoleum floors, slippers sliding. Something was being wheeled and dragged. The focus on sounds gave way to physical sensations moving through his skin and nerves. You could barely remember not only what, but where the surgery in his body had occurred. The places where the pain wandered around his person, like an autonomous battery-controlled children's toy. Was it in his stomach? Was it the back of his knee? Perhaps his back around the lower part of his spine? His skin felt chills dancing around its surface, the unmistakable feeling of a fever exploring him. The thoughts fell into his head now, like heavy stones in a murky pond. Where are the friends and people in my family? Shouldn't they be sitting here holding my hand while telling me when I get to come home? Another stone fell into the water of his mind. Who are my friends and family? Doctor! Gary called out into the cold ambience. He had opened his eyes and confusion and fear swirled around his visions. He was relieved when he heard the footsteps approaching, but it was offset with the dread of who might arrive and what they might say. Yes, mister. I am not the doctor. Gary, for some reason, could not understand the last name. She said with a bizarre accent, We were a bit concerned about how the medications were affecting you, so we had altered them slightly. Affecting Affecting me? me? Gary rasped, taking his cup of chalky water. Is that why I've been... Have been what? The woman's voice asked. I don't know. Tears filled his eyes. Something is just so wrong, and I can't feel right. I am so sorry. I hope the adjustments will help. The doctor will see you soon. As the owner of the feminine voice walked away, the sobs that Gary was breathing through pushed him uncomfortably into sleep. Gary's discomfort was waiting for him when he awoke. This time, the dread was making him choose to keep his eyes shut as he began talking to himself in mumbles and whispers. Okay, Gary. He began trying to distance himself from the dread he felt by referring to himself in the third person. When you open your eyes, you might see things that don't make sense, and you just have to remain calm and ask for help. He was going through his memories, trying to find a point of context to anchor his mind to. He remembered a time when he was at the supermarket and the woman outside was in an argument with who was presumably her daughter. The woman had clearly been distressed and possibly ill. The phrase that came to Gary's mind that the woman had cried to her daughter was every time I wake up in the morning I am not me anymore. The thought that one could wake up not themselves opened up a cascade of possibilities that settled on a singular thought. What if I Take for granted that every time I wake up, the world would be the same. Gary, he said to himself, They messed up your meds. You are not thinking right. Still feeling out of it? The voice sounded like a cheap radio speaker. His eyes opened to a dark greenish colour. It looked spotty and strange as if the ceiling and curtains in his recovery area could not decide what substance they were supposed to be made of what did you do to me he tried to take his own advice and sound calm but he sounded like a scared boy lost in the woods your surgery was a success the static voice shifted and blurred into other sounds for a moment and then came back into something that was understandable again as successfully placed within Your recovery is taking a bit longer than we need. Gary turned his head quickly to find the source of the voice, but there was nothing there. Just the curtain-like objects around him. The TV sounds had also morphed into the sound of liquids moving from one container or another, either by squeezing or pouring. He looked around, unable to gather much information about who had been speaking to him. Okay, Gary. Gary. He could not think of his own name and he cried out, You are just. In a voice he barely recognized, he whispered, I am just. The man who may have used to have been called Gary did not hang on to much of his rationality when he fully woke up. His bed sat on a hill or plateau. Cold wind circulated around him and his restraints were gone. He pulled the blanket up to his neck and shook with fear and cold. The air smelled of fresh citrus mixed with rotting flesh. The land itself was pulsing and bubbling and churning slightly. Its greenish-gray hues blurred and undefined. The ground beneath the bed shifted as if just underneath a large mass of insects was ready to break free.
1: I am sorry that it took me so long to see you after the operation.
0: The gentlest voice came from everywhere, including inside the patient's head. It was powerful and yet emotionless. The patient's eyes squinted at the writhing mass of tentacles, eyes, and other unnameable organic forms that were the sky. Directly above, there was a large inhuman mouth that all of the features circled the eye of an unbelievable storm. I am Doctor. Doctor. The voice began again from the massive orifice. Unfortunately, Unfortunately the, medications the medications you took, you took after operation your operation had some side effects, effects that were quite unexpected.
1: We are, are working to
0: get things back, back to, normal, to normal as soon as, as possible.
1: As Normally, as the, side the side effects only will affect the patient's health, health and well-being, being.
0: but, but as you may have noticed, they stretched beyond the you and affected much more i was the only sound the man in the bed could manage to say i need need to to ask you a few questions questions so we can get get you back on the right track. track a massive tongue licked the lips that were miles above before it spoke again
1: on a scale of
0: one to ten how much discomfort would you say you are experiencing at this moment And so ends Post OP Written by Fee Stringer When It Rains Every now and again when it rains, the worms come up from the grass for air. They soak up the moisture from the damp concrete, swelling and expanding. They're scooped into my hands as I walk, sad writhing creatures. Flopping and rolling, they burst between my fingers, their soft entrails oozing deliciously across my tongue. Every now and again, when it rains, the chicks in the nest turn pale and limp. Their mothers don't come home and they die alone, hungry and forgotten. They make for tasty, easy pickings. I climb up the tree and spot a fresh batch. Their bodies are lifeless still, and taste fleshy as I place them into my mouth drooling every now and again when it rains the frogs in the swampland lose their way their green homes overflow and they are washed out in the rising water they float dead just above the surface legs up, faces down towards the pond floor their skin is so slippery I eat them whole. Arms sliding down the inside of my throat. Every now and again. When it rains. The shelter kittens are left outside. Their fur is waterlogged. And they shiver cold. Tiny mouths. Meowing. They gather in a leaky dumpster. As I lift the lid I see their faces. Scared. Confused. Huddled close by in a soft heap. And with no escape. Not to see the day. Every now and again. When it rains. The kennel dogs are left unguarded. Their owners fast asleep. In her cheap trailer. With her piggy husband. They know something's wrong. Hiding away. Trapped and desperate. Crying and moaning. They can sense I'm just nearby. Round the corner. And the last they see is a flash of red. Every now and again, when it rains, I rise up once again from my grave. The water trickles through, down into my tomb, and delivers me life. I ache and yearn for more nourishment. Hungry, ceaseless, but never ever full. Not a single person sees, as I hover, claws outstretched, teeth bared, ready whenever. The rain ceases too soon, far too far. The clouds part ways, and a blue sky forms. I am cast on the ground, patiently in wait for when the rain comes back. The recent drought has passed, and I wake. An ache in my gut, the force that drives me, is strengthening, getting tough. This time, I'll act. This time, I'll get what I want, what I crave. The townspeople are so overjoyed, they shout in delight, thankful for the rain. Thankful there is life once more, their tanks are full, and the rivers are just starting to flood. Little do they know, that every now and again, when it rains, the neighborhood kids come out to play. Sally. It was the end of the world as we knew it. The virus had spread quickly, turning people into mindless, flesh-eating zombies. My family and I have been holed up in this house for weeks, living off canned food, reduced to drinking stagnant water from the toilet tank. One day, while I was out scavenging for supplies, I heard a faint noise coming from the direction of the park. It was a child's laughter, a sound so rare and precious in this new world of death and decay. I followed the noise, cautiously, my machete as ever at the ready. As I entered the park I saw a little girl, no more than eight years old, playing by herself on the swings. She was wearing a yellow sundress, her hair tied back in pigtails. I couldn't believe it. A survivor? And such a young one at that! I approached her slowly, my machete still clutched in my hand. She looked up at me and smiled, completely unfazed by my presence or by my weapon. Hi there, I said, trying to keep my voice steady. What's your name? Sally, she replied, jumping off the swing and running over to me. I felt a surge of relief wash over me. This was a sign, a sign that maybe, just maybe, there was hope for humanity after all. I took Sally back to my family, and they were overjoyed to have her with us. She was a breath of fresh air, a ray of sunshine in the bleakness of our new reality. But things took... A dark turn as the days passed. Sally wasn't like any other survivor I had encountered before. She was always talking about them. The ones who were coming for her. For us. Ever eerier. She had an uncanny ability to predict when the zombies were going to attack. At first, we brushed it off as the imaginings of a child dealing with trauma. Coincidence and nothing more. But as the days passed and her predictions proved to be accurate we started to become more and more uneasy. One night, as we were huddled together in the living room, Sally suddenly sat up, her eyes wide and unseen. They're here, she said in a cold, emotionless voice. And just like that, the zombies arrived. They smashed through the front door and swarmed into the room, their moans filling the air. But as I fought to protect my family, I noticed something strange. The zombies were all wearing tattered hospital gowns, their limbs strapped down with restraints. In that moment, it all became clear. Sally wasn't just any survivor. She was a patient at the hospital where the virus had originated, and somehow, she had the ability to control the zombies. Well, we managed to escape, but we were forever changed by our encounter with Sally. The world had already been turned upside down by the zombie apocalypse, but now... We had to grapple with the reality that there were things far more sinister at play here, and we were never truly safe, not with her out there pulling the strings of the Undead Horde." Written by Darius Mick Corkendale. Velvet Butterflies It all began silently, unexpectedly without a shape and without a form. Carried in the wind, undetectable to the eye and unavoidable. A small deathly spark ignited a flame that became a wildfire. Before we knew it, we were all submerged into the jaws of perdition and baptized in hellfire. Forgive me for not being able to paint the entire picture properly. My mind is slowly falling apart and fading away into a strange and inescapable fog. I don't know for how much longer I'll be able to recall anything. Someone whose name and face I cannot recollect anymore fell ill, stricken down by a sudden bout of fever. Soon enough, they were too weak to even speak. A while after that, I heard they were coughing up blood. In a matter of days, rumors spread they had the plague, as their arms and legs had turned the color of coal. And before the Lord came to claim their soul, I heard maggots were already crawling out of their mouths. It wasn't the plague, but another one of the devil's attempts to corrupt and destroy us. Soon enough, more and more people fell ill, and most people in this town ended up ill with this diabolical affliction. Even my family, my wife and son, and his wife too, right after she had given birth to my first grandchild. The pernicious parasite ate away at the poor souls it possessed. All around me. People withered away as they threw up more and more of their blood, until their mortal bodies could no longer sustain their own weight. Naturally, the still healthy ones turned suspicious, and as more people fell ill and died, we became a more suspicious society. The hospitals, which was once common here, became a grave sin. Firearms and other weapons morphed from tools to inanimate lovers who would never reciprocate the emotion their owners showed them. All of it happened because this infernal plague didn't just kill our neighbors and spread through contact with them. It had a more sinister side to it. Some of the afflicted became wild, like rabid dogs. They lost all sense of humanity and became drunk with an inhuman obsession with the consumption of human flesh. Hell has stolen these poor people's souls... It twisted and corrupted them leaving them completely subservient to the devil's charm a flock beyond salvation these lost souls could never resist their perverted designs their hunger for human flesh and thirst for human blood drove them and controlled them they ceased being human becoming single minded and base with no sense of right or wrong with no sense of self even all they ever had And all they ever will have, is their insatiable, love. I've kept my rifle close to me, ever since I saw these things, roaming about at night, with my own two eyes. Nothing that looks so human while behaving so animalistically, is to be trusted. These creatures, they hunt only at night. They are the reason we can no longer trust each other, or even ourselves. Unfortunately, owning a rifle didn't help me. I couldn't save my family. They've all succumbed to this terrible plague. We've all succumbed to this disease. And the devil and his minions have already devoured our souls. My son, my flesh and blood. I heard the baby cry in the middle of the night. Grabbing my weapon, I ran to his room. I was too late. Too late. Too... A dark shadow stood in that room, freezing the air. A nightmare wearing a human shape stood before, casting its malevolent presence to a paralyzing effect. I stood and watched, hopeless, as the heartless demon held my weeping grandchild in its hand as if it were a slab of meat. I stood there, mortified, and watched as this ghoul wearing my son's likeness as an ill-fitting mask bared its blood-stained teeth it wasn't my son it couldn't be my son he was dead my boy was dead the malady took him I had buried his body months prior he was dead the gaunt, deathly pale silhouette in front of me couldn't be him it shouldn't have been it wasn't before I could even move the demonic impersonator lifted the infant above its gaping maw and soared into it with its teeth splattering blood all over while the sound of bones being crushed followed by a ghastly silence replaced the child's wailing in a matter of seconds there was nothing left of my grandson besides a few red stains on his little bed a burning wrath slowly replaced my shock, clouding every thought I previously had with the searing lust for revenge. The creature swallowed the last bits of my grandson loudly, before turning its back to me, and as its body jerked and contorted in a way befitting an insect, as it crawled out of the window from which it had entered my home. Without a second thought, I followed it. It ran faster than any human could ever run. It moved like a feline on all fours, occasionally leaping into the air to bounce off tree branches or buildings to increase the distance between us. I ran after it, my rifle aimed on its head. The night was dead silent, turning the sound of chase into an ocean of miniature explosions dotting the ground. Slowly, but surely, I was closing the gap between us. The hunger to destroy the theme that had laid waste to what remained of my kin was overwhelming and all-consuming as it ate away at my mind and my heart. Soon enough, I was close enough behind the demon, close enough to blast through its head. All it took was a single motion of my finger. The rifle roared as it unleashed its deadly load destined to tear through the air and put down the rabid animal before me. In an instant, a crimson rain of blood and skull matter showered the ground while the demon fell down into the well in front of him. Lifeless, still, finally, motionless again. I thought this would state the hunger, but it didn't. Ever since that day, my hunger had only gotten more ravenous. No matter how or what I eat, the hunger and lust for blood won't fade. My condition turns worse with each passing night. Every time I see the moon grace the sky, my heart yearns to leave this human body behind and escape this town in order to begin a new life. a free beast in the wilderness... Occasionally, my cruel passion turns into a paralyzing fever and even forces me to vomit blood. My blood is now filled with worms and maggots. My beautiful, beautiful children writhing and wiggling in my blood. They feed on my blood to grow, to metamorphose, into beautiful velvet butterflies. Seeing my children emerge and mature fills me with a wonderful feeling. The same miraculous feeling women must experience while they are giving birth. Even though I am now surrounded by legions of my magnificent children, I cannot bask in my happiness for long. The agony accompanying the insatiable hunger that cuts through my viscera and burns the back of my throat quickly overshadows any joy I can still feel. Fortunately, I think I know how to relieve myself of this terrible pain. The other day, someone asked if they could use the empty pit in which I laid my son's remains. I permitted them to use it for burial. I'm certain I've seen them lower a casket in there. Just the thought of what they bury there makes me salivate. I am willing to bet everything that I own that the meat is still fresh. Still lush and juicy, overflowing with the sweet wine that carries human life. My God, the taste it all must have. Nothing short of heavenly manners. And so ends Velvet Butterflies, written by M. Lycanthrope. Well, mates, I hope you enjoyed all our stories. Feastringer's post-op was really intriguing. A uniquely strange and bizarre ending, with a bit of tongue-in-cheek flavor at the end. I can't help but feel that H.P. Lovecraft influenced the story The Madness, The Fracture of the Psyche. Kind of reminds me of the film where astronauts crash into a web of dark matter and their ship is destroyed, and they're kept alive by an alien creature that mind-traps them into a reality that they prefer. Slowly and surely, these humans begin to realize where they are, and the horrors that await them upon waking up from their subconscious sleep. A super duper awesome film. Not sure if anyone knows what that one is called, but it was great, and I watched it on Netflix years ago. This story post op reminds me a little bit of that film. Super mind bendy. Very mind bendy. Well done, Fee Stringer. Thank you for sending your story in, mate. Mate, a huge thank you for listening, you legends. I want to thank my amazing, legendary, mega-awesome person, my old Night T-Titan, Matto Star Bauer. You are freaking brilliant. With your support, I've been able to keep creating mid-journey artwork, supporting other old-time radio archivists, and so much more. Thanks to you, I'll also be reaching out to some authors online to create a story now. So I've been planning this for a while, but now I have a bunch of core plot lines written up with the goal to commission a number of them over the next couple of months. It's a new process for me, so I'll see how we go, But that's now in the works. Thanks to you. Can't wait. Thanks for making it possible, Matto. You are a legend. And looking forward to hearing from you. And to my white-tea warlord, charging at the front line, unwavering, unhindered, and above all, gallantly awesome, Lazookasaurus Rex. Thank you, mate, for your undying support. I've been covering website costs and upkeeping costs thanks to your brilliance. And also, you're helping with the mid-journey costs as well, due to the monthly upkeep required. You're a legend and never, ever forget that, mate. And the peeps that put a pep in my step. My legendary Earl Grey enforcers Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Eiffelie, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fasig, Alia Arcane, and Paige Kramer. If you want to be a legend like these lovely people, visit my Patreon page where you can donate there. That's www.patreon.com. Forward slash sfgt, Where you get high quality audio, get to submit your own stories, and you'll always have my ear. Again, thank you, you lovely supporters, you. Now, when you find that right story, the one that's hunky-dory, the page that strikes you deeply, where the feeling resides sweetly, it's the storyteller's job to bring those thoughts to life. And I'm thankful for the time you spent and my chance to spark that light. Thank you, you amazing listeners. My friends and my supporters alike. For your time today and then next, until next time, good night.